You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. we got a ton to get to today. News out of Arkansas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Auburn. We go around in the scouting spotlight with Ole Miss. Man, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to do it right now. First, I remind you to go to Twillery.com. That's Twillery.com. You can use the Locked On promo code, get $25 off some fantastic shirts. And uh, they're soft. You don't have to iron them. Very comfortable Check them out. They've been in business for over a century. So use that locked on promo code, get $25 off, and uh, you will absolutely love it. I can promise you that. We have talked about this before, uh, Chris, with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Um, We've talked about this before, and a recent story that uh, a column, could could Nick Saban reign to a tongue of Iola in a bit? Um, and you've alluded to this that um, you know Alabama was able to hammer people on the scoreboard, but not maybe not hammer them as as physically as they had in the past. How do you think the Crimson Tide may approach uh, the offensive side of the ball a little bit differently this year? Well, I listen. I think last year it was a little bit fool's goal, and people were a little bit um, you know again. I think people get excited by a lot of points, an explosion of points. Man, they're scoring 50 points a game. Boy, they're great on defense, and that's an unbeatable combination. It doesn't work that way. When you're on the field that much defensively, you're not going to be as good. It will fool you in the regular season because you you maybe are that much better against certain teams, so maybe certain teams can't score a lot of points, and so it's – it's a little bit fool's goal, and I think we've seen it. We saw it against Oklahoma, and we definitely saw it against Clemson, that their defense was put in a perilous situation because the offense was hyper-aggressive, and I, th- I thought it caused them some problems. So, you know, what I say is that as they get back to Alabama football under Nick Saban, to that, what that means is I think they want to take chances, be aggressive, when the opportunity presents itself. But I think they want to run the football. I think they want to eat clock. I think they want to pace games out a little bit to where they keep their defense fresh and play to that strength. The other thing is can't have Tua just winging it. Um, you know, can't have them running around, taking unnecessary hits. Uh, it's not about making the big play every time. It's about making the smart play. And I, I think that's an area that, that the young man can improve upon. And I think that's going to be the focus of this team. Look, it's not about, you know, style. It's about the ability to be able to manage games and play a, across multiple platforms of teams. And obviously when your goal is uh, to win a national championship, then I think you got to look at it as they got to play better game control. So, that's where, and I didn't read the article, but if you want to use the frame, I, I, I wouldn't, sometimes the, the titles of articles are not really accurate, but I think in this case, rein him in. I think that's true. Now, if people think that, oh, you're not going to let them throw and do that. No, no, you, they got too many receivers. They've got too many opportunities to, to take chances, to make plays, but don't be foolish with it. Don't try to necessarily win all the one-on-one battles and make big, the fancy play, 
make the smart play. I think that's what they need to do to go back to championship football, and that is not just SEC championship football, but national championship football, which is their standard. Well, I can go ahead and promise you, because I've had this conversation with a lot of coaches, editors write the headlines. The writers don't write the headlines, so trust no, me. Yeah, that, no, that's true. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying the writer did, but you no, that's exactly right. But I think reining them in is, I mean, it makes them, I mean, it, I, I think there is something to that. Yeah, I can remember writing a column about how Arian Foster really didn't fumble that much, but he just they were inopportune times, and the big headline across the page was fumbling Foster. So that didn't go over very well with the Foster family. Uh, <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> yeah, so what do you – I was curious with that real quick, but, I mean, before we move on, we got a lot to cover, but do you – so there's got a headline writer. So do you – you talk to your editor about that. You talk to the headline writer and say, "Hey, work with me here." I mean, well, how, how does that how does that conversation go? There were probably three or four times a year where they would write something that you're kind of wondering, "Did I not convey the point? Did you not get the point?" Um, it wasn't often, but it was kind of a control thing, and technically, that person is your boss. So um, towards the end, when newsrooms got smaller, they would ask for suggested headlines, but it was always their call at the end, and it was a battle. You just weren't going to win. So yeah, but at, at least the suggested ones are good. At least it gives you an idea, and some and somehow you can put your stamp on it. That's, and I mean, they may not take it, but it uh, that's good. Well, I thought that was interesting because never, never having done that, uh, I think the folks would be interested in hearing that, knowing that. Yeah, I have no idea why it started like that or why it continued, but it did. Uh, CBS uh, decided to put Georgia and Notre Dame in prime time. And I'll, I'll say one thing about uh, Georgia and Kirby Smart. Uh, obviously, they've recruited well. They've had success through the roof already. But just the national profile of that program has, and it's partly because of the success, but also with the way they've played in, in prime time with the way they played in important games, just the national exposure of that program has, has really gone through the roof. Well, it has, and obviously playing Notre Dame last year, anytime you play Notre Dame, that brings up the exposure. Um, I mean, it was, uh, I, it, let me tell you what was impressive. Going to Notre Dame last year, and buying up all those tickets because you know they haven't played a lot. You remember they played in the Sugar Bowl and um, back in the day and uh, national championship and all that. But to play Notre Dame so rarely, um, I think it is something that's uh, at least for the Southern schools. Back in my day, growing up, that was because Notre Dame was king. That was a national program. So you know, boy, Southern teams, you know, always wanted to play. I mean, of course, Bear Bryant never had success against them, but. It was always big. I think it still is big. It's a different dynamic today. Uh, a lot of all the big schools are national schools, but I thought it was maybe one of the more impressive things I saw from a fan base standpoint. They took over South Bend last year and took over that stadium, and that kind of opened up some eyes. How did they get all those tickets? Because that was not an allotment of Georgia tickets. Somehow they bought up somebody's tickets <laughs> somehow, some way. So obviously getting this exposure prime time is going to be big. And uh, that game is obviously September 21st. Um, if you look at that, um, that, 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 that makes sense. 
it's you see Alabama plays Southern Miss, Arkansas, I mean, not A&M, Auburn as another good game that week. Florida, Tennessee is that week. Um, LSU, Vanderbilt, not much there. Uh, so you look at the 21st, uh, South Carolina, Missouri is a good little sneaky game there. Um, but yeah, that, that is maybe the headline game and that's going to be the feature game. It, it's a, it's a story because obviously there's got a lot of primetime games. That's the ESPN game. But a few years ago, if you remember how that started, they didn't always have it. Remember Tennessee, Florida was in primetime a few times, but they kind of went away from that. And it, CBS locked into that two thirty central starting time. And then remember you had, they wanted to move the great Alabama LSU game and the big one versus two during the season. And they wanted to put it in prime time and they did it in Alabama and LSU said, we'll do it only if you get the return game in Baton Rouge and tiger stadium the next year. And then they did it. Well, then we had a string there where Alabama LSU was the prime time CBS game. And that was kind of the it thing. Alabama's kind of had their way with LSU for a few years. So now I think CBS has kind of got a little bit of a juice with, hey, the, let's get out. It's a really good primetime game. This year it's going to be Notre Dame and Georgia, and uh, it, it would be a good showcase for Georgia at home to to sell their program and um, even further. And I think with a better team, we'll, we'll likely get a victory at Notre Dame at, against Notre Dame at home. Certainly seems like TV can get some stuff done when, when they want to. Uh, so coming up, we'll talk about uh, Missouri. What happens if they get off to a fast start? Does that put more pressure on the NCAA with their bowl ban and postseason ban? We'll discuss that uh, with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. More after this. Stay tuned. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Let's talk some Missouri. Now, there is a uh, a bowl ban, a postseason ban in place that I thought uh, was overly harsh, and I think most people agreed with that, given the fact that they were very compliant in the NCAA investigation. It really came out of nowhere. Um, I can remember being in my car and uh, having heard nothing about it until the NCAA, NCAA released the news, and um, you didn't think it was going to be anywhere near that serious, but what happens if Missouri gets off to a really good start? I don't think anybody's <laughs> picking them to win the East, but Chris, I mean, they, they could put pressure on the NCAA if if they theoretically win 8-0, which is not outside the realm of possibility. Well, listen, to me, I think this is a really good team, and it's got a favorable schedule. And I've, I've kind of talked about them as potentially being this year's Kentucky. You know, the team that maybe surprises a little bit. Uh, they got Wyoming. West Virginia is kind of rebuilding, and their their talent level's down. They got Southeast Missouri. And, again, the South Carolina game. And that's that's a team they've not had success against South Carolina and Kentucky. This could be the year. We'll see. But I, I look at it, and, I mean, I, I'd i be very surprised because they've got after that, they've got, they've got a bye. Then they've got Troy, Ole Miss, at Vanderbilt, and at Kentucky. I mean, I – I'd be very surprised if they're not seven and one, maybe eight and zero, as you alluded to. Well, I don't know. 
and if anybody knows, please let us in on the secret. When the NCAA is going to, in their infinite wisdom, decide, because they've got this, Missouri's appealing this decision. Is Missouri going to let, are they going to let Missouri know before the season, during the season, tonight? I mean, you know, I, you know, I don't know when, you know, uh, you know, Sunday morning during church. I have no idea. But what a story that's going to be, would be, if they're off to a really good start and they they have the the Kentucky mantra that remember that momentum started to build last year, Dave. Now, it, it was more about when they beat Florida. That's when it started to build. Now, Missouri's not going to have that type of, you know, earth-shattering win, although they, they've handled Florida very well. But if they beat South Carolina, they're going to go on a nice little run and that's going to be the story. And, and the story is going to be, hey, well, Missouri hadn't really played anybody, but boy, they're 5-0, and they're 6-0, and they're 6-1, and whatever it is, they're really good. No, they're not going to challenge, in my opinion, Florida, Georgia, and the East, but I think they're the third team in the East, at least how they're finished relative to their record. And then the storyline is going to be they're on a nice little run, but they can't go anywhere. Now, it may not be a factor, you know, by November when they go to Georgia and Florida, but I think it's going to be a storyline a little bit early in the year, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm perfectly fine with the uh, NCAA being uncomfortable, so I guess part of me will root for Missouri uh, early in the season. Uh, commitments to Arkansas, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Auburn. I want you, I want you to address those and how significant they are but also, do you see these commitments starting to slow down a little bit once you get to preseason camp? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it, it will be, I think, most of it. I think you'll see some tricklings in. But, you know, I, I think you you will occasionally see some of it. I think the focus for the kids on the season and the coaches on the season, you'll see it. But you'll see some more, just not at the pace that we saw in June. I mean, that was – Gosh, for those of us that uh, those that have been following us all throughout, you know, May and June, man, that was that was. Uh, I mean, it was news du jour. Every day was just loaded with information. It'll slow down a little bit. Arkansas though got a big one, uh, really good get for them. A kid out of Memphis, linebacker Martavius French. Um, they did a great job with them. A lot of folks want them. I know LSU, Florida were in on them. Oregon came down in on him really hard. Mississippi State wanted him. Boy, he looks like, you know, one of those Mississippi State linebackers that are really good. LSU linebackers got really good cover skills. I mean, 6'3", 235. He looks the part. He's a top 200 overall player in this 2020 class. So a great get for Arkansas. And this is what they need. They need a lot more of them to start, you know, playing at that level defensively because they don't have enough playmakers there. But Martavius French could get uh, out of Memphis for them. You know, we didn't have a chance to talk about it because of media days, and uh, we uh, we just got uh, rolling uh, yesterday, but wanted to peel back and uh, talk a little bit about, A, the job that A&M is doing overall in recruiting, but specifically tough news for particularly Tennessee. Um, Auburn, you know, I think was expected, but – Tennessee really thought they had a great shot at getting Haynes King, who I think is as good of a dual threat quarterback in this 2020 class. 6'3", 180, got a fill out, 
But boy, he can throw off different platforms. I mean, he's really athletic. Um, it's a really, he's a really dynamic guy. I mean, this guy's a four or five guy, really good arm strength. Um, he's got good touch. Uh, we're talking about one of the top 75 overall players in the 2020 class, maybe the best quarterback in this 2020 class, dual threat quarterback. Um, <clears throat> Tennessee needs one, as you well know, very clued into that program. Uh, so feel bad for them, but what a great get for A&M and to tie him with Jimbo Fisher, with what Kellen Mond's doing. Um, the future continues to look really bright. I keep telling folks, AM is starting to look a lot like LSU and even approaching Alabama and Georgia in terms of recruiting. They are getting it done. I mean, you're talking about top five. I know there's not a lot of spots available in the top five because you got Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia and Ohio State. But I'm telling you, A&M is in that group. Uh, Oklahoma, they, they, they're they're in that elite group now, and they're only going to get better. And um, so that's a great get for them. And wanted to, I know that uh, that's a tough blow for uh, for Tennessee. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then the film room uh, takes a look at some Auburn players. Your thoughts? Yeah, I you know uh, <laughs> well I, I wanted to to actually there's a couple of guys that uh, at Ole Miss I wanted to get to, but. Um, the, the Ole Miss kids, Jerry and Ely is the guy I want to talk about. You know, Scotty Phillips is the starting running back there that uh, I think is very underrated. But Jerry and Ely, we've talked about him. He's the baseball player. He's a five-star running back that they sign. He's a freshman now at Ole Miss. They've kind of tell, they, they tell me their plan with him at 5'10", 200 pounds, is to use him as a change-of-pace guy, use him across the formation and the slot and the wing back get him out in space uh they need him as a playmaker of course they lose all those receivers particularly the two key ones um but they're gonna need him now another guy that they think that can help him as a freshman is jonathan mingo out at receiver six two two hundred he's one of two highly regarded freshman receivers that uh, the other with dennis jackson but uh, they've got to replace you know big shoes to fill with aj brown demarcus lodge dj metcalf dk metcalf rather so those two guys are guys that I'm focused in on. For Auburn, uh, I wanted to make a mention that uh, double back that they received a verbal commitment from a nice junior college kid in Keelan Zarer. Um, he's a JUCO kid, 6'7", 290. He's going to be a plug-and-play guy because uh, Auburn loses so many guys off, the, um, off this offensive line after this year. And then Alabama, I should mention, too, a big commitment for them um, it, for the class of 2021. They're about done in 2020. But Drake May, the quarterback um, in the 2021 class, really good-looking player. He's a pro-style guy, really quick release. You might remember uh, his older brother is Luke May, who plays basketball at North Carolina. And Mark May, his uh, uh, not Mark May, the former offensive lineman, used to be on TV, but different Mark May that played quarterback at North Carolina. So uh, North Carolina was – Big in on him. He's from Cornelius, North Carolina. But uh, Alabama already starting to, as they fill up 2020, already starting to make significant dents in 2021 now. There you go. Coming up next, we'll have a preview of the Auburn Tigers. We break down every team and Auburn on the docket next with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. It's Auburn next and maybe the most unpredictable team in the SEC. Stay tuned. More after this, you're locked on SEC football podcast. More after this. Stay tuned. You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team 
every day. Welcome back with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker, and we're going to get to those uh, Auburn Tigers. And you're going to preview their season. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you good luck because I don't know where this team's going to end up. Uh, I could see six wins. I could see ten wins. Um, I know we've got the change in philosophy uh, of, of, you know, who's handling the offense. Once again, it seems like that's an annual thing on the Plains. So I'll just ask you, uh, what, what do you think of Auburn? I, I can tell you who's not going to see six wins. It's, it's Gus Malzahn because he's not going to be around for the season to, to if, it's, if it's that bad early. You know, here's the thing about Auburn. You know, yeah, they're up and down, and there's no doubt about that. But you really got to start with their schedule and, and realize how difficult it is. Because of their cross-sectional game, they play, in, in, and again, the modern-day college football landscape. Georgia is really good. You know, haven't got it done like Clemson and Alabama, I know, but they're really good. Auburn's going to play them every year in, in a in a cross-sectional game. And, you know, of course, they're going to play Alabama in the league. I mean, Auburn, like Tennessee, is going to play Georgia and Alabama every year. That's pretty doggone tough. And, you know, they've had, listen, as much success as you possibly could have against Alabama outside of Clemson. Certainly in the conference, Auburn's been the only one that's penetrated them a little bit. And then – you know, they they haven't beaten LSU in Baton Rouge since 1999, since uh, Tommy Tuberville was lighting up cigars at Tiger Stadium, which they still talk about in Baton Rouge, <laughs> Tommy. Um, you know, and then in an A&M's resurgence, what a schedule. I mean, what a schedule. And I know A&M, South Carolina, has got maybe more difficult, but put Auburn in there. And then, you know, they get a little – you know, ease into the season with Oregon. I, you know, look, they, I think they beat Auburn. I think they beat Tulane. I mean, I think they're seven. And then you start looking at, all right, um, the swing games at AM, at Florida, at LSU. You know, if you give them a loss to Georgia and Alabama, and I'm not just giving it to them because they're capable of beating them, but that, you know, I, I'm going to tell you. If, you know, eight wins is not good enough for Gus to save his job, I got to tell you, that's that's really a tough ask. I mean, it really is. Um, Winning nine games on this schedule, that's pretty doggone good. But that's where they are. Let's get into them a little bit. Love the team speed. I mean, they. I, I think Booby Whitlow can have a breakout year. The offensive line's returning a lot of guys that were young last year. I think they're good. They got five senior starters. I mean, you just that's that's what you want there. I think they've got depth at running back. I think they've got speed. I don't like the I don't like how they run routes. That's not what they do well. That offense is not built for that. But they've got guys that can get vertical off their spread power run look. I think we know about the defensive line. Uh may not be as deep as some, but I'm going to tell you, if they stay healthy, could be as good a defensive line as there is in the country. Uh, And you know what? The secondary is very underrated. A lot of talk in the conference about LSU secondary, about Florida secondary, about Alabama secondary. They're all very good. 
Auburn is in that same class. They're really, really good. It really comes down to the quarterback play and what type of quarterback play they're going to get early, how much better they're going to get, are they going to settle in. Um, you mentioned Gus. I, I, I applaud Gus taking over the offense. That's what he does well. That's what they need out of him. Look, I, I don't know what to expect like you in terms of the overall number, but you know, you, you really start to study it and look at it, Dave. It's just really difficult. I mean, you know, how do you, you know, I don't know to sit there and say, well, he better win nine or 10 and we're run. Well, man, I'm going to tell you, that's just like that. That is, that is really something I, you could make the case. You chime in here. I mean, there are a lot of jobs, you know, all politics are local. All jobs are tough. You could make the case that Auburn's job is the toughest in the SEC because the expectation for them inside is you need to be every bit as good as Alabama. And they've been able to beat Alabama at times, but they're always, you know, little brother in the state. They don't like hearing that, but that's kind of how it is. And I don't care. Yes, they've got more Auburn fans in, say, the Montgomery area, but it is all Alabama. Even in Montgomery, it is their, their second fiddle in terms of fan support. I think they have a tougher schedule year in and year out than Alabama. The expectation is to be Alabama and beat Alabama. And if you fall short, you, you're not going to make it. And, oh, by the way, if you do win a national title and you slip a little bit, we'll run your ass out of town too. So, I mean, I, that's a, I mean if you look at the tough jobs, I, I, I think everyone is tough and there's pressure. I don't know that there's any more pressure and any more higher expectations and maybe in some cases more unrealistic expectations than at Auburn. Well, I think you uh, underscored it in, in the beginning of being one of the teams that has to play uh, Alabama and Georgia from the get. I mean, a- unless they have a special game or they're having a special season or Alabama or Georgia are down, which doesn't look like it's going to be the case, you – you almost logically chalk up two losses right there before the season even starts. Um, I know that's the case of Tennessee's in Auburn, not to that extent, but um, you know, if, if you had a better week's pay right now uh, over whether or not Auburn's going to win one of those games or lose them both, I would have to take lose them both right now. They, you know, things happen in games, but uh, right now, um, would, would you, not think that Alabama and Georgia will be favored in both those games? Oh, of course. Now, all right, so let's let's go with that. All they got to do, all they got to do, Dave, is if they lose those two games, go on the road and beat A&M, Florida, and LSU. That's all they got to do. Win those three. And, oh, by the way, don't trip up against – Mississippi State, for example, that that's that's got to be a given. They got to win those games. And oh, by the way, out of conference, got to beat Oregon to open up the season with your new quarterback. That's all they got to do. That's all they got to do to win ten games. I mean, think about that. What a what a you know. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the biggest issue with Gus that puts him, and this is one of these things I think sometimes people can get unrealistic that. I think the up and down status of Gus has made people crazy at Auburn. I think that 
the the whole you know eight and five, eleven and one. You know, I, I mean, you get a lot of that with them, and that's that is kind of just made them batty. But you know, I, boy, I'm gonna just tell you one heck of a season if this team goes eight and two. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, But, you know, president that gave him the extensions, not there. We all see it. We all know it. But, man, that is difficult. The good thing he's getting a lot of paycheck, uh, a a, a lot of corn in that paycheck, because that's a tough, tough. At A&M, at Florida, at LSU, and that's not your toughest games. You got Georgia and Alabama. In Jordan-Hare, no doubt. So maybe they pull one of those out. I don't know. But pull one of those out and win those other three and don't trip up against anybody else. Could be 11-1 and one special year. I mean, I just let that sink in, folks. That's, that's, you know, it's easy to say and throw out numbers. Start to drill down into some of these teams and realize how bleeping difficult it is to win in this league. Man. Very true. And we could make an argument that at least – Four or five other teams have incredibly difficult schedules as well. We've discussed that, but they're, you know, they're right up there at the top. So that is your Locked on SEC Football podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll continue with our preview of SEC teams tomorrow. We'll also have the latest uh, news and notes around the conference. And you never know what's going to happen because it's almost time for ball. Don't forget to give us a review. We would certainly appreciate that. And be sure and subscribe. And it's there waiting for you whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, whatever the case might be, Apple, Android, Spotify, it's all right there. Uh, So be a part. Uh, Locked on SEC Football Podcast for Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker.